Welcome back to the Todd Duncan Podcast. A member of the industry syndicate. This is where success happens. Todd's goal is to transform your business and life through deeper connections, higher trust, and proven strategies to help you win and give you your best life ever. Here's your host, Todd Duncan. As I think about my career, as I think about the failures I've made, the mistakes I've made, as I think about the things I've done well and the things that have really panned out and acted as catalysts for my dreams to come true, there are certain things that were absolute laws that affected the way that I was able to grow. But more important than that, there are these same laws that over the last 22 years I have had a chance to witness in the lives of peak performers. I've had the chance to personally interview in excess of 400 sales performers. These sales performers earn in excess of $250,000, all the way up to several million dollars per year in commissions. As I sit down and talk with them and as I reflect on the words that come from them, it's absolutely clear to me that these laws are within their kind of approach towards achievement. They may or may not say them exactly how I'm going to say them to you, but they do govern human performance. And I want you to know right now that as a success coach, you know, as your friend and as somebody that cares deeply about how you achieve in life and in business, these laws can be your friend. If they're paid attention to and if they're followed, the consequences of these laws are extremely positive, extremely powerful. If these laws are not followed, then the consequences can be extremely negative and extremely disempowering. And somewhere in between there, obviously, to the extent that you live the laws and you understand them as framework for success, you will be more and more and more successful. I remember early in my career, I had a chance to be in my car and I plugged in a audio tape from a success coach at that point in time. He still is in the market today. His name is Brian Tracy. And that was the first really kind of gleaning that I got towards really what peak performance looks like and feels like. I've since gone on to just really kind of develop my framework as I see necessary for what laws in the marketplace and what laws in life are just universal in that they do have everything to do with what you achieve and how you achieve it. As I really think about where you want to go, and as obviously I've thought about where I want to go, I'm reminded often by the quote from Henry David Thoreau that goes like this, if man advances confidently in the direction of his dreams and he endeavors to live the life that he's imagined, he'll meet with success unexpected in common hours. And I love that quote because it really says a few things. Number one, how do you advance confidently? And these laws will help you advance confidently. They'll help you have a sense of certainty as to how you achieve and how you go forward and how you're able to really achieve a level of mastery in both your life and your business. The second part of that quote that I love is the words in the direction of his dreams. And what that says to you and what it says to me is that all of us need a dream and all of us need to lock on to where it is that we want to go and maybe in all of life's areas. You know, what are your dreams? Are you a big dream? or are you a daydreamer? Are you really thinking about some of the big opportunities there are? Uh, Are you sensing that there's a direction and a destiny that you have that right now maybe you're not really locked onto and yet you know you need to start thinking that way? See, if we don't have dreams, we can't decide what direction we are to go. And therein lies the power of understanding that methodology. And then I like the word endeavors. And endeavors is that daily commitment to achievement. And again, governed by some of these laws, every day successful people do the things that unsuccessful people have not been able to motivate themselves to do or figured out how to do. And it's really, quite honestly, that simple and yet it's that complex. You know, what do top performers do? They endeavor every day to live the life that they've imagined, that dream, if you will. It's not reality, but it's becoming reality every day. 
And so when we think of the context of Thoreau's words and we think about the fact that there are laws that govern human performance, what will happen is as you listen through this CD and as you begin to understand the power of these words, you'll start playing at a whole new level. And if we continue his quote, he will meet with success unexpected in common hours. You'll sit here and say, wow, I can't believe I've accomplished it. Or I can't believe that that dream has come true. And you'll sit there and reflect back and say, you know, just several years ago, I was thinking that this might be a 10-year or a 15-year kind of experience or a five or seven year, and all of a sudden two or three years into it, I'm already there. This is true for me. It's true for others that I've had a chance to coach. I remember several years ago, over five years ago, I set a dream, and one of the dreams was that I wanted to have 10 books authored by the age of 55. You know, as I sit here and record this, I'm 10 years away from that age, and six books have already been written, five of which have been published. And you sit here and you go, wow, I can remember distinctly the day the dream seed got planted. And yet here we are now way, way ahead of the curve. And so often that is the case. When people lock onto where they want to go and when they follow the laws that govern human performance, then they will achieve in ways that will be unexpected in common hours. And as he goes on to say, he says, and they will live with the licenses of a higher order of being. And what that really means is that you will begin to play at a level that is really reserved for the few. It's the small percentage kind of game. It's the few people that end up becoming the lighthouses for others, the mentors for others, the people that others look to and say things like, I'd like to be like him, or I'd like to be like her, or I wonder how I could achieve what he's achieved, or I wonder how I could be as successful as she has become. And when you get to that level, one of the greatest joys is you have the chance to give back, and giving back is priceless. When you can see that because you've followed laws and because you've achieved things that at this point maybe you haven't, and as you do that consistently enough through your life, you'll be in a point where you'll be able to give back and you'll be able to just experience the joy of making a difference in other people's lives. And so with that kind of setup, I just want you to know that my commitment as I sit here and just talk through my thoughts and talk through these ideas is that I want you to pursue your life's dreams. I want you to pursue your dreams in every area. I want you to pursue life mastery and business mastery and time mastery. And I want you to pursue your physical mastery. I want you to be so healthy as a human being, both intellectually and physically. I want your marriages, if you're in one, to be rock solid. If you're a parent, I want you to be a superhero to your children. These are things that I desire for myself. I'm not there. I continually try and make those kinds of thought processes a everyday reality for me. And I want you to play at that level. I want you to play with me at the highest level possible. I love the fact that at the very top, there are few people, but the air is much cleaner. And I want to go there with you. And I hope that you want to take me there with you. As I think this through, and as I understand these laws, let me just get into it, all right, and talk about them from the perspective of how they govern human performance. The first foundational law for success is the law of responsibility. And Abraham Lincoln, I think, sets this up beautifully for us when he said, you cannot escape the responsibility of tomorrow by evading it today. And so you and I, every single day, have to take full, full responsibility. I believe that it's critical to understand that life's circumstances will happen. Market circumstances will happen. We'll have good economies. We'll have bad economies. We'll have good weeks. We'll have bad weeks. We'll have unexpected setbacks in our life. We'll have challenges that were not part of our plan. We will no doubt be in positions where maybe some of the goals we've set and some of the thoughts that we've had aren't coming to fruition as fast as we'd like or that all of a sudden we get distracted because something has popped up that 
it wasn't part of the plan. It could be an illness with somebody you love. It could be, you know, an unexpected tragedy, perhaps, God forbid. But at the end of the day, we can choose how to respond to life's circumstances. And so the law of responsibility says that it never really is the environment that you and I are in that determines how we achieve or the results that we get. It generally is us. It's you and it's me, and it's how we make decisions as we face adversity, as we face opportunity, as we face setbacks and setups and comebacks and advancements. It's really how we choose to manage how we respond to the environments that we are in. And again, we have an opportunity every day to make new choices in that area. And one of the things I like to tell people is that if you were to think about the law of responsibility and what one of maybe the single threads of truth is with that law is that you can never blame anybody or anything for your lack of excellence. You can never say, you know, if the market were different or you can never say, you know, if that hadn't happened or you can never say that if she only understood or if he only understood, you know, at the end of the day, everything that's not happening in your life and everything that's not happening in your business is really an opportunity for you to make a new decision about how you want it to happen. Oftentimes, I've heard it said that if it's not happening in your life the way you want it to have happen, it's your fault. If it's not happening in your business the way you want to have it happen, it's your fault. And not that I want any of us to feel that, oh, woe is me. It's my fault. It's my fault. It's my fault. But if it's not your fault, whose is it? And then the question would be, what value is there in blaming anybody for something that you know you'd like to have? Because see, if you take responsibility, if you just seize the opportunity to understand that we can't ignore it, we can't evade it, we can't sidestep it, you're empowered. If you take responsibility, you're empowered. And if you look at the word empower, it means with power. And when you operate in life and when you operate in business with power, major things happen. Power is the engine that allows you to act or do. The root Greek word for power is dunamis, which we get today's present word dynamite. It says that if you are empowered, you will have explosive results in your life, in your business to make the connection there. I look at people in the eyes and I just simply ask them, you like the idea of being empowered? And everybody says, yes, this is not only personal power, this is environmental power, this is power in the purest and most positive definition of the word. It's not empowerment to be abused or to use as manipulative leverage on people. It has nothing to do with that. It's about you and it's about who you are internally. And empowerment is a very, very good thing. To be empowered, to be with power means that you'll do things that you otherwise would not do. Now, Here's what's interesting about the responsibility factor. If you avoid responsibility or if you maybe transfer it to circumstances, you know, other people or the market or this or that, you are disempowered. And when we look at the word dis and marry it to the word power and then put the prefix em in between, it actually means you are without power. Dis is to negate, to take away from as a prefix. And so if we don't take full responsibility, we are fully disempowered. And when you are disempowered, you don't act. When you're disempowered, you don't do the things that you know you need to do to create the kind of circumstances and success that you know you'd like to have. You know, I think that as you think about pursuing life's dreams, obviously, it's going to be easier to pursue them if you are with power. So 
Having said that, how do you achieve this kind of accumulation of power? What does it really mean and how is it really tied to you as a human being? Well, I think it's tied to you by understanding that the only way you are with power, the only way that you achieve this kind of personal and professional and lifestyle power is through what we call self-leadership. Responsibility actually is self-leadership. And I love this quote by Dr. Pamela Butler. She's a clinical psychologist, and she says these words. Listen carefully. There is no person with whom you spend more time than any other, a person who has more influence over you and more ability to interfere with or to support your growth than anyone else. This ever-present companion is your own self. So hand in hand, side by side, you walk every day with your own self. They're an ever-present companion, and depending on how your own self is managed and how you take control of who you are as an individual has everything to do with how you pursue life streams. So as I think this through, I think that there's somewhat progressionally maybe eight elements of self-leadership that I want to share with you as you pursue the life of your dreams and as you obviously raise the bar in every area of your life. There are some critical thoughts tied to this idea of leadership that I think are going to be very important. Let me give them to you now and just give you a brief definition of what each one looks like. As I think through these eight elements of self-leadership, as I think about what it means to play life and do business at the most empowered level possible, it dawns on me that the foundation for everything is what we call self-motivation. And what that says is that you are in charge of your own motivation. Nobody, 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 let me say that again, nobody externally can motivate you and have that last. And this is where one of the big breakthroughs, I think, comes for a lot of people. In our book, High Trust Selling, we talk about the power of the law of the iceberg. And the law of the iceberg, again, says that your success, the truest measure of your success, is invisible to your clients. And what that really means is foundationally to all of success has to be this inner core, this stuff below the surface, this reason for being, this reason for doing that motivates you. In life, the truest measure of your marital success, the truest measure of your parental success, the truest measure of your financial success and your physical success and enveloping maybe all that, the truest measure of your spiritual success comes from what's inside, not anything that you put on the outside as trappings or masks or dress up, if you will. Motivation is an inside job. Motives are only within. And once motives are understood within, then everything on the outside changes. And so when we think of the iceberg, it's the tip, it's the below the surface stuff, what you see, what you don't see, what gives what you see strength is the stuff you don't see. And so self-motivation creates for individuals as they pursue life's dreams, what we call pull power. You no doubt have heard the idea that willpower is important. I tend to think a little bit unconventional, I guess, in that I think willpower is probably the fast track to life frustration, to business frustration. And here's how I arrive at that thought process. If all it took to be successful was willpower, everybody that wanted to be successful would be successful. 
And yet you and I both know that everybody who wants to be successful is not as successful as they want to be. And so we have to reconcile in our mind that willpower is an outside game. Pull power is an inside game. Willpower is what you see above the surface. Pull power comes from what is below the surface. If people understood this, then they would get much more accomplished in their life and in their business. Willpower is what people use during the month of December to get themselves fired up to stay with their New Year's resolutions starting in January. And yet it's been reported by many different sources that the average length of days that the average number of New Year's resolutions are adhered to after the first of the year is 17 days. So what happens as we approach the 17th day is we start to lose willpower. And not that this is about New Year's resolutions, it's about any resolution. If you want to make your marriage better, if you want to make your relationship with your kids better, if you want to you know, get closer to some spiritual sense of intimacy or some real discipline with regard to financial security or financial freedom, it's never going to happen with willpower, okay? You've got to understand that pull power is the source of empowerment. With power means to achieve power through the discovery and the focus on your core purpose and who you are as an individual. And so part of life planning, which we sincerely believe in, and part of business planning, which is obviously something we believe in, is all hinged to this idea of purpose. So motivation is motive. It's internal. Pull power is the result of discovering core purpose. Pull power pulls you. Willpower pushes you. Willpower doesn't work. Pull power works forever. So once we have self-motivation, the second thing that we then have to begin to build on top of that is what I call self-vision. And again, the only reason why I'm using the word self is because of this law of responsibility. You're in charge. It's your responsibility, at least as governed by human conditions, to make decisions. And one of those decisions would be the vision that you yourself come up with for where you want to be in your life. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to be in five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years? What is the master life kind of end result? When you go all the way to the age of 80 and you start replaying how you got there and what it would look like so that at the age of 20 or 30 or 40, you can start living with that sense of vision. How powerful would that be? You'd be so pulled towards that because the vision and the purpose are linked together. And now you can start to leverage the third element of self-leadership, which is self-mission. And mission and vision are oftentimes misunderstood and oftentimes, I think, inappropriately interchanged. Vision is long-term. Mission is short-term. The vision is to, the mission is how-to. The vision has long-term implications. The mission has short-term implications. Self-vision then means, depending on what your vision is for areas of your life that are important, the short-term goals clarify what you need to do to make big things happen. And again, what wraps all three of these together is pull power. The goals once set now no longer have to be willed into reality, but rather you are pulled towards accomplishment and the outcome is that they will be achieved. Short-term, maybe it's one year, maybe it's this quarter, maybe it's this week, and quite honestly, it could be as short as what do I do this hour or this day? 
Now, motivation first, vision second, mission third, and then the fourth element is self-discipline. And self-discipline is absolutely critical because there is no automatic guarantee that every day you're going to wake up and just do everything you need to do. There is rationalization that permeates um, our souls. There is procrastination that gets in the way of doing. There is obviously the relationship between if it were easy, everybody would be doing it, and I don't feel like doing it right now. And then there's the putting off and thinking that someday you'll get back to it. And here's what I know about people that pursue life streams with vigor and with passion and that sees this with power kind of attitude. That is they have discipline. And the reason why they have discipline is because they link behavior to the fulfillment of purpose. We are told in ancient scriptures that he who neglects discipline despises himself. And if you've ever gotten yourself in a position, as I have, and no doubt you have, where you know you should do something and you end up not doing it, it has a little kind of chisel and hammer effect on your self-esteem. And if you have moments of minutes and periods of hours and timeframes of days where you start ignoring this truth of self-leadership, then every time you do, it's the hammer and the chisel taking a little bit of who you are away from your empowerment platform. And so what discipline does is it drives your daily achievement. What discipline does is it makes you feel good every day. You have to recognize that to do is more important than to think about doing. And if you understand the truth that it is easier to act yourself into feeling than it is to feel yourself into action, then you'll recognize the power of this idea of discipline. And we'll continue to talk about this throughout this CD as you think things through. The fifth primary element of self-leadership is what we call self-talk. And self-talk is what you say to yourself. It recenters you when you veer off course. People that speak negatively to their subconscious mind are obviously going to produce externally negative actions. To endeavor the life you've imagined to live requires you to say positive things to yourself. It is unbelievably easy to operate with this sense of pessimism when life's boundaries start to center in on you or when life's pressures and business pressures start to mount. But I have to tell you that it's in that face of adversity that champions are born. It's in that moment in time that the winners really decide to be winners. And what you say to yourself has everything to do with how you take the next step forward. So we ask people to ask the question, what if I could accomplish this? Or what if I could achieve this? Or what if, what if not, I won't, or it won't, or I can't, or it, you know, she won't, or he won't. I mean, that's all just negative self-talk. And when you start talking that way, your brain doesn't know if it's right or wrong. It just knows that it's the truth you're planting in it. So all top performers in pursuing life streams and business visions have this ability to stay empowered by saying positive things to themselves. So you got to get in that habit. Number six is what we call self-observation. And the masters, the people that achieve mastery in the areas of their life that we would all probably want to achieve mastery in, have this absolute commitment to mastering the art of observation. And I think it's important to note that, as Ben Franklin said, the eye of the master will do more than both of his hands. It means that whatever you do physically has to be born on an idea of what you think about mentally. The eyes of a master, two eyes, okay, brain will do more than both of his hands. Hands, action, toil, labor, okay? Eyes, thinking, thinking, thinking. Here's an idea. Work on your life instead of working in your life. Work on your business instead of working in your business. Spend some time in on time. Spend some time in stopping 
You know, stopping and asking, how did the last hour go? Or how did today go? Spend 15 minutes every night just replaying the day's events and write down two or three things that didn't quite go like you'd like them to and make a commitment the following day through the other five principles that we've just talked about to not repeat those negative behaviors. Because being a top producer requires you to not repeat negative behaviors. We'll talk about that going forward. The other idea here at number seven is self-reinforcement. I think one of the greatest things you can do is praise yourself. I don't mean, you know, end up with a cocky attitude. I don't mean, you know, have any sense of ego that is, you know, obtrusive or just not fun to be around. But I believe when you're doing something right, you ought to give yourself a pat on the back. Again, this is an element of self-talk, but the physicality of saying, you know, good job, putting your fists up, looking in the mirror, smiling, you know, tapping yourself on the shoulder, that a boy, that a girl, way to go. This is important because here's what we know. We are Pavlovian in nature. If we recognize our own successes, we will succeed more often and more consistently. And by contrast, obviously, if we continue to focus on our failures and don't have the ability to put those in the right perspective, then we will continue to go backwards instead of forwards. Put all seven of these together and you end up with number eight, which is self-worth. And self-worth is a byproduct of the other seven elements of self-leadership being locked onto by you. It's what everyone wants to feel. At the end of the day, we want to feel good. If you practice these elements of self-leadership, you will feel good and you will close in on life's dreams and goals in a way that you would never, ever have thought possible without thinking this way. The second foundational law for success is the law of action. And one of the thoughts that I love here is the idea that William Shakespeare gives to us when he said, procrastination is the fertilizer that makes difficulties grow. One of the thoughts that we need to recognize is that everything that gets put off that is important will resurface as more important. And one of the things that we want to recognize is that there's never going to be a perfect time to start, but there is always a time to start. And the perfect time to start, if there were such a time, is the first time you think about starting. Starting what? Whatever. Whatever it is, you know, as you pursue life's dreams and goals and as you understand that it's going to require initiative on your behalf, then it makes all the sense in the world to start. And one of the great quotes that I love is you don't have to be great to start, but you do have to start in order to be great. And so think this through and think about the power of action because truly everything that happens in your life is the result of an action that you took. Maybe a a right action, a wrong action, or maybe it was an action called inaction. And we don't normally think that way, but inaction creates procrastination. One of my good friends and a mentor who has long departed from the earth is a guy named Og Mandino. And Og died in 1995, I believe, 1996. And one of the great prolific writers of all time, one of the great success motivators of all time. And books like The Greatest Salesman in the World, The Greatest Miracle in the World, you know, books that need to be on your bookshelf and read on an ongoing and repeated basis. Here's an excerpt from Og Mandino's book, The Greatest Sales person in the world, the greatest salespeople in the world, person, man, woman. Here's how they think, okay? I quote, I will act now. I will act now. I will act now. 
Henceforth, I'll repeat these words each hour, each day, every day, until the words become as much a habit as my breathing, and the action which follows becomes as instinctive as the blinking of my eyelids. With these words, I can condition my mind to perform every action necessary for my success. I will act now. I'll repeat these words again and again and again. I'll walk where failures fear to walk. I'll work when failures seek rest. I will act now, for now is all I have. Tomorrow is the day reserved for the labor of the lazy. I'm not lazy. Tomorrow is the day when the failure will succeed. I'm not a failure. I will act now. Success will not wait. If I delay, success will become wed to another and lost to me forever. This is the time. This is the place. I am the person. I love those words because that's what life's dreams are all about. It's about action. It's about making sure that you are a person of action. It's about observation, which we talked about moments ago, but it's important to recognize that all forward movement comes from forward thinking, action, and doing. So how do people take action? What is necessary for people to really get excited about taking action? Well, obviously one would be to link the action that you're gonna take to the purpose that you have. And yet there's a very real learning thought process with action too, and let me share with you three thoughts that I think are critical. Number one, whatever it is that you wanna do, you gotta gain the knowledge on how to do that thing, okay? If you wanna achieve marital success, you've got to study successful marriage. If you wanna be a great parent, you have to study great parenting. If you wanna be financially free, you've gotta learn, okay, knowledge, how to be financially free. If you wanna achieve high levels of personal growth, you've gotta have a personal growth plan. If you wanna be one of the greatest salespeople in the world, you've gotta have a commitment to training to be a great salesperson. We gotta reconcile in our mind one of these truths. Most of us would be better if we stopped trying and we started training. Let me say that again. Most of us would be better if we stopped trying and started training because here's what happens. As soon as we gain the knowledge, the second thing on how to take action is we develop the skill. So I have the knowledge first, then I have the skill. The skill is the execution of the knowledge learned. Knowledge without skill learned will not create the kind of action. The skill being deployed daily gives us then number three, it's called momentum. If we can experience momentum by repeating the action, which is now the outcome of the skill and the knowledge, until it becomes a new habit, then we will not go backwards or regress. We will continue to go forward. So one of the questions I want to ask you is what's your knowledge plan? Elements of mine. I make a commitment to read five to six books a month. Business books, spiritual books, marital books, parental books, financial books. I want to immerse myself in that knowledge. The things that I see that are important, I want to turn into skill. If it requires a new action, I want to experience the momentum from repeating that action for a period of time until it's a discipline. What's your personal growth plan? What's your professional growth plan? I study selling for probably 15 hours a month. Why? Because I want to be one of the great sales teachers of all time. I'll never be one of the great sales teachers of all time unless I study selling. Okay, what do you want to be? And how are you going to study it? I have a company that maybe like yours has multiple employees. I want to be a great leader. I can't be a great leader unless I study leadership. So what's your leadership study plan? If you're not learning new things, you're going backwards without knowing it. 
And so I, I just want to inspire you to recognize that you're gifted to do more than you're doing. I'm gifted to do more than I'm doing. We can all take more action than we're taking. And I don't want action to just be action for the sake of acting. You know, there is a major difference between movement and achievement. And nobody's going to get a plaque or a big check for being busy. You're only going to get that sense of fulfillment by being productive. So let's lock onto this. Let's build ourselves a personal growth plan. Let's make a commitment to listen to five to 10 hours a month of CDs, just immersing ourselves in information. I want to be a world-class dad to my kids. And so I'm going through a program right now with my wife called Bringing Up Boys by James Dobson. You can't figure it out on your own. We've already proven that doesn't work. Let's resource with somebody else. Okay, let's figure out how to gain knowledge by tapping into people that are years, if not decades ahead of us in experience and learn from them and bring them back into our present day. If we do that, we will act with purpose. And when we act with purpose, we will achieve our purpose. The third foundational law of success is the law of focus. And I believe this is a critical law, as obviously I do all five, but one thing I have come to know about top producers is they have this awesome ability to laser in, to focus. I have success stories, obviously, having been in the personal teaching business for the last 12 years. Even before that, a decade before that, I had the opportunity throughout those 10 years to share success principles with other people that I was working with that were employed by our company. And it was wonderful to begin to see the power of helping people focus. And one of the great books that has to be on your reading list, it's on mine, I've read it, you need to read it, it's called Focus. And it's by a guy named Al Reese. And what Al Reese says is incredibly important. The sun is a powerful source of energy. Every hour the sun washes the earth with billions of kilowatts of energy. Yet with a hat and some sunscreen, you can bathe in the light of the sun for hours at a time with few ill effects. A laser is a weak source of energy. A laser takes a few watts of energy and focuses them in a coherent stream of light. But with a laser, you can drill a hole in a diamond or wipe out a cancer. You have really got to get this. Maybe a simpler way to get it is with one of my favorite quotes, if you chase two rabbits, both will escape. Here's what I know about people that achieve life's dreams. They have the ability to focus. They don't try and master the art of juggling. And one of the great visuals for you, whether you juggle or not, is just to picture somebody who's skilled at juggling. And maybe they're standing in front of you and you want to test whether or not you can really, really get a lot done by not focusing. The visual would be, you know, we all do a few things pretty well. We all have limits, all right, to try and fill up the capacity of what we have the opportunity to do sets us on a course where every time we do more and more and more, we're actually unfocusing. Focus is about doing less and less and less. So maybe somebody is juggling three oranges and you say to yourself, you know, that guy can juggle three oranges pretty well. And so you say, you know what? You're pretty focused on three. I can see how you're doing that. Let me give you a fourth. And maybe they can get the fourth one in there. And yet you can maybe even right now start to see that four is a little bit difficult. They're becoming less focused because there's too much going on. And you say, okay, let me throw a fifth orange in there. And now they try and get the fifth one. And maybe they can get it going a little bit, but no doubt if they're not good, 
good at five, then within a few tosses of the oranges, all of them fall to the ground. And certainly maybe if they did five, you could throw in six. And no doubt by the time you get to six or seven things, it's going to be pretty impossible to what? To continue doing what it is you were good doing when you had less going on. And that's the power of focus. The power of focus is to understand that you can only do a few things well. And if you lock and load on what those few things are, and you become, through this gaining knowledge and skill, really good at those few things, then you will achieve unexpected success in common hours. And that's really what Thoreau was talking about. To recognize this, understand three words. Focus precedes success. You can't get successful without focus. Too many people got way too much going on. We are trying to make incomplete lists of unclear things, and we got all this peripheral going on, and the bottom line is we're not getting enough of the right things done and finished. So when I think about focus, I think about, you know, maybe in every account area in your life, your marital accounts and your spiritual accounts and parental accounts, financial accounts, you know, physical accounts, you know, the account, if you will, that you need to keep adding value to, hey, A couple of things done well is always going to be a better alternative than many things done poorly. And yet we don't want to leave important things undone. We got to stay focused. In fact, self-leadership means completing what is important to you. You've got to make finishing your focus because when you take things to completion, you experience victory. And when you experience victory, you feel good about you. As I think about success stories, as I think about my relationship with six-time Ironman triathlete champion Mark Allen, as I think about my relationship with three-time Everest summiter, two of which he did not make it to the top, one of which he made it to the top, Allen Hobson, as I think about guys like Mitchell, who had 65% of his body burned by fire, third-degree burns, and shortly thereafter became a paraplegic and is confined to a wheelchair for the rest of his life, as I look at guys like that... You know, as I look at gals, my own wife, for example, deal with and battle with cancer, I'm telling you right now that the key to all of those people's success is zeroing in on completing important things. And it's getting rid of the peripheral. It's getting rid of the noise. It is becoming crystal clear on how to do the few things that are important. And to take things to completion requires you to think about the end. So here are five thoughts that I think will help you focus. They'll help you take things to completion. And I think they are the recipe, if you will, for focus as it relates to achieving the dreams that you have in your life. Number one, you've got to get very clear on your outcome. And when you think about outcome, when you think about anybody that is training for an Olympic event, when you think about anybody that's training for any competition, when you think about somebody who's training to climb, you know, the highest peak in the world, obviously they're crystal clear on the outcome. If you think about maybe running a marathon, you have to get crystal clear on the outcome and the outcome is to cross the finish line. But that's not just all that is the outcome. The second thing is you might have a race in mind, if you will. You're wired to do certain things well. You're wired maybe to work at a certain speed, if you will. And I remember when I was first preparing for my first marathon, I was thinking, okay, this was the race I was going to run. Obviously, there's people running, 22,000 people in the race that was my first marathon, that some faster, some slower, you know, some runners, some walkers. I mean, What I want you to recognize is that in life, 
Your race is your race, and it's about you being your best. It's not about you trying to compete with somebody who is ahead of you or having some false sense of accomplishment by comparing yourself to somebody who is behind you. Everybody has a different race plan. They have a different race plan in their business, a different race plan for their marriage, a different race plan for their finances. So you got to develop your race. You get clear on your outcome, you develop your race, and then three is really important. You've got to keep your pace. And when I say keep your pace, I really mean if you decide that this is the time in which you want to achieve your victory, if you will, whether it's financial, marital, whatever, then stay with that pace unless you gain the knowledge and you have the training that allows you to run faster. If you try and do things faster, it ends up messing up your race and then destroying your outcome. As I ran this marathon for five miles, I departed my race plan. I did not keep my pace. I ran faster than I had trained to run. And as a result of that, at about mile 22, I started to lock up and I literally had to stop and walk about a mile, mile and a half before I could even start running again. And so by not staying with my pace, I literally added time to my race, which meant I didn't cross the finish line in the time frame I wanted. I crossed it. There was victory in that, but it wasn't in the time frame that I wanted. And in life, we have to understand this. All of us have a different pace. And then as we experience adversity and as we experience setback, one of the keys is to adjust your attitude. And attitude management is absolutely critical. Chuck Swindoll says that attitude is, as he's convinced, 10% what happens to us and 90% how we respond to it. And so what you need to think through here is as you achieve excellence in life and as you Look towards this concept of mastery, setback and adversity will no doubt creep in. You've got to forget them as fast as you can because tomorrow and the next day are just rich with new opportunity and new chances for achievement that if you don't master the attitude of the moment, you will mess up up the magic of the future. And so we've just got to really tie that into kind of an approach for how do we just complete things and how do we get there in a way that we can feel good. I'm okay with the fact that I crossed the finish line and I'm okay with the fact that it took me 21 minutes longer than I was planning on it. There's always another race and I can continue to go down that path, but I think that it would be very, very unhelpful for you to not know that there is a psychological process to take things to completion and it's your attitude. And then I think that one of the great things that continues this concept of reinforcement is victory. You know, obviously, as you can visualize, perhaps, and even having done one, maybe yourself, run a marathon or any road race that you run or any race that, whether it's a bicycle race, a motorcycle race, or any competition you've ever been in, when there is victory, there has to be celebration. And the reason why there has to be celebration with victory is because it inks the moment. It's those snapshots, you know, it's the ESPN century moments, you know, it's the last hundred years of what are the best victories. And when you see any victory, there's huge celebration and celebration is important because it is the culmination. It's the icing on the cake of everything we've talked about at this point. It's the icing on the cake of vision. It is the bad boy, the pat on the shoulder, the fists up in the air. It's the I can do anything. It's what gets you excited about raising the bar and 
trying it again. So this area of focus is critical. To understand the power of laser thinking is big. To understand the power of thinking is big. And to realize that most of us go through life in somewhat of a non-thinking mode. We act without thinking. Stop long enough to make sure that you have a reason for doing whatever it is that you do. Stop long enough to realize that to focus in on fewer things is much better than to be unfocused on many things. And then realizing that every single time you take any of life, element, achievement, thought processes to completion. You will feel good about you. That's the power of focus. The fourth foundational law of success is the law of repetition. Aristotle said that we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. Stephen Covey, one of the great personal success coaches in America, says... Habits are powerful factors in our lives. Because they are consistent, often unconscious patterns, they constantly, daily express our character and produce our effectiveness or our ineffectiveness. Life mastery, achieving the life of your dreams, pursuing the victories that you no doubt want to pursue, is about deciding what gaps you have and how to close those gaps. And I want to set up two analogies here as we begin to think about how this law applies to who we are as human beings. It applies not only to a governing infrastructure on how human beings are wired, but it also applies to probably not more than about five areas that we have opportunity in life to look at our gaps. And then it also applies to obviously how we sell and what the selling process is and what gaps we might have there. So what I know about success and ultimately achieving the life and the business that you are dreaming about is that repetition is the gateway through which all success is achieved. We really understand that every single thing that's important in life has to be looked at with a spirit of vigilance. And vigilance is this idea of a state of watchfulness. And as we have this state of watchfulness, we recognize that if we have a gap, it's probably because the law of repetition has allowed us to, over time, repeat the wrong behavior. The same law of repetition will be what's necessary for us to undo the negative behavior and then create a new behavior, and then master the new behavior until we experience the new habit. And so repetition, again, has both positive and negative consequences. I say to people, you know, many people have gotten really good at doing the wrong things. We repeat, we repeat, we repeat, we repeat, and now all of a sudden we have a bad habit. And so repetition has got to be looked at, you know, from maybe three or four different angles. And here are three of the angles that you got to look at it from. First of all, Relative to life mastery, relative to these areas in which we need to constantly evaluate how we're doing, we need to constantly evaluate how we're doing with regard to our purpose. We need to constantly evaluate with regard to how we're doing in self-leadership. We need to constantly evaluate how we are doing in the area of making smart choices. We need to constantly evaluate how we're doing in the area of professional and personal and maybe partnered and maybe even prayerful accountability. How are we doing with the accountability factor? And then fifthly, we should be evaluating pretty often how we're doing with regard to the lessons that we have learned. And learning life's lessons is critical. In fact, it can't even be called a lesson unless it is a mistake that is no longer made. 
And so what we recognize here then is part of the frustration in life is by continually repeating wrong actions, which are mistakes, which obviously create wrong results. So there's one dimension of how the law of repetition works. And the more frequently and consistently you live your purpose, the more frequently and consistently you adopt this commitment to self-leadership, and the more frequently and consistently you make smart choices and seek accountability. And then quite honestly, the more frequently you just kind of maybe read in your journal or maybe in your computer or your Palm Pilot or iPad or whatever it is that you use, your digital assistant, whatever. Here are the lessons. I want to be reminded of the lessons because I don't want to learn them what? Twice. So there's one dimension. Here's a second dimension. You need to constantly evaluate how you're doing. Law of repetition, again, you need to constantly evaluate how you're doing with regard to anything that's important to you spiritually. You need to constantly evaluate how you're doing in the area of relationships. And that would be both marital, social, parental, three different areas there. You need to constantly evaluate how you're doing physically. How's your health meter? How's your energy meter? You know, how's your state of focus and energy and restfulness and all those things that go into feeling like you are at peak performance. You need to constantly evaluate how you're doing in the area of fiscal responsibility and how you are adopting the methodologies of pain now so that you can play later. And then obviously you need to constantly evaluate how you're doing in the area of your vocational success. And with that fifth one then, here's the third dimension. If you're in business and you are adopting the kind of high level thinking that I no doubt support and ask you to think through, you need to evaluate how you're doing in the area of your time efficiency. You need to constantly be vigilant on how you're using every hour for productivity and profitability. You need to evaluate how you're doing in your partnerships with regard to strategic initiatives and adding value and how much business you're getting back. You need to look at your scripts and how well you are mastering the words that cause your clients to think that you are unique and different and therefore they're more valuable than anybody they've had a chance to work with. You need to, through the law of repetition, master the four acts of the high trust selling process and never again for the rest of your life wonder how to sell. You need to know that objections will creep up and obviously the system that we teach can help you greatly, if not entirely, prevent objections. But if you do get them, wouldn't it be great to be prepared when they arrive through the law of repetition? You need to take a look at what you're doing with your clients long term and how you're retaining them and how you're building partnership with them in the future. All of the things that go into, in your mind, creating business success must have a sense of vigilance to them. There are gaps. There are days that you don't produce like you need to produce. There are deals you don't get that you should have gotten. There are missteps and miscues that should not be repeated day in and day out. There are calls that are made that don't create successful appointments being set. We can't ignore the truth that repetition is the reality of life. And if we don't like what's going on, it's because we've been repeating the wrong things. And if we want to like what's going on, we have to repeat the right things. And one of the governing thoughts that I teach people is this. If you don't practice more than you play, when you play, you'll look like you haven't practiced. And so life is about practicing. Business is about practicing. Practicing on marital excellence every day is going to help you achieve marital excellence. Practicing on parental excellence. Practicing on financial excellence. I mean, every single day, the laboratory of practice ought to be a greater time consumer than the actual doing of the play you practiced. Because if you practice more than you play, when the play happens, it'll have the right impact. The law of repetition is huge.
The fifth foundational law for success is the law of faith. And obviously, there is a tremendous importance to understand here with regard to where you want to go in your future. And by definition, if you are thinking long-term about the future, you have to have faith in the future. I have different thoughts on the implication of faith. We're not simply talking about some sense of God having a destiny for you, a plan for you. Obviously, I believe that. Perhaps you believe that. And therein lies a huge level of faith commitment. And yet, you know, at the very same time, we are taught things throughout history and by others about different lessons that have to do with faith itself. Some might have spiritual bends, some may not have them and still are truth. And in your mind, you've got to decide where your faith factor is going to come from. Here are four major lessons that I have learned about faith as we explore and share this fifth law with you. And then I want to talk about one more concept called failure and how you deal with that. And you will be well on your way to achieving the dreams that you have for your life and your business. The first lesson that I've learned on faith is the lesson of belief. And I first really began to understand this as I studied Norman Vincent Peale and as I read The Power of Positive Thinking, as I understood, you know, really the truth of what he was speaking. And I quote from his book, and here's what he says. He says, the most powerful force in human nature is the spiritual power technique taught in the Bible. Very astutely, the Bible emphasizes the method by which a person can make something of himself. Faith, belief, positive thinking, faith in God, faith in other people, faith in yourself, faith in life. This is the essence of the technique it teaches. He goes on to say two things. If you have faith, nothing shall be impossible to you. The second thing he says is that according to your faith, it will be done unto you. In a very roundabout way, bottom line is, if you believe it will happen. I think back to Henry Ford saying, whether you believe you can or whether you believe you can't, you're right. And I think that's the essence of what Norman Vincent Peale is suggesting through this power of belief. The second lesson that I learned is the lesson of positive thinking. One of my favorite books is called Learned Optimism by Martin Seligman. I learned the power of positive thinking early in my life. I began at the age of five going to church where a guy was just starting the church that I was a member of, and his name was Robert Schuler. And today you may know he obviously has one of the largest TV and radio ministries in the world. Every Sunday, some 23 million people tune in to hear his sermons on the relationship between you know positive thinking and living life at the highest level possible and what that that means to you spiritually and perhaps potentially eternally. And so I got this dose of positive thinking early on in my life. I remember sitting in the pew, you know, every Sunday as I kind of wrestled with what I do during the hour, you know, I'm five, six, seven years old. It's hard for me to sit there as it is for most kids. And, and yet I can vividly remember the power of positive thinking as Schuler would talk about. And then I found this great quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson uh, much later in life, 15, 20 years later. And it's this quote, finish every day and be done with it, you have done what you could. Some blunders and absurdities no doubt crept in. Forget them as fast as you can. Tomorrow is a new day. Begin it well and serenely and with too high of a spirit to be encumbered with your old nonsense. This day is all that is good and fair. It is too dear with hopes and invitations to waste a moment on the yesterdays. That is huge. And that's the power of positive thinking. Good friend of mine, John Maxwell, who I'll talk about in just a moment. I love what he says. He says, you know, yesterday ended last night. And, and so whatever happened yesterday is either a lesson or a reminder of what to do today. And so this is really critical. How you think is going to be a large precursor to how you succeed. 
Lesson number three is the lesson of vision. King Solomon, one of the great wisdom coaches from ancient times, says that where there is no vision, the people will perish. And I believe that's true for you and it's true for me. If we don't know where we're going, we are dying en route. Now, physically, we're all dying anyway. From the day we were born, we're starting the death march, you know, and and I don't want to couch that negatively because it's really, life can be a wonderful, a wonderful experience. And yet, at the end of the day, who wants to perish in their business? Who wants to die while being a salesperson? I'm not talking about physical death. I'm talking about who wants a business that looks like it's dead? Who wants a life that looks like it's dead? Who wants a marriage that looks like it's dead? Who wants their kids to think that the way you're parenting is just dead? You don't even have a relationship. See, what Solomon said is that have vision and you'll have life. Wherever it is that you see yourself going, you will then go with a sense of energy. You'll go with a sense of conviction. You'll go with a sense of anticipation. Without vision, you have despair. I read an article recently in USA Today, and it was interesting. They had surveyed people that were given really kind of a terminal death prescription, you know, that based on an ailment that they had, the likelihood of them surviving was not going to be really, really good. And they had some conversations with these people. 418 people were surveyed. And one of the distinctions was that those people who had led their life with a sense of purpose had less despair knowing that their life was about ready to come to an end than those who had not lived their life with a sense of purpose. And obviously, you can't have vision without purpose. And so let's make sure we go through life living and not dying. And then finally, lesson four is the lesson of persistence. Faith is about hanging on. You know, Schuler said that tough times never last, but tough people do. And again, this ties right back to the law of responsibility. It's about you. It's about me. It's not about the environment. Times will get easy. Times will get tough. The stock market will be good. The stock market will be bad. You might gain weight. You might lose weight. You know, whatever it is, if you don't like the times you're in, do everything you can to change them, but also realize that the times will change. And hang on, you know, persistence is important. John Maxwell, a good friend of mine, says, if you have faith in your future, you will have power in your present. The opposite of having faith in your future is to not have faith in your future. If you don't have faith in your future, you will be powerless in your present. And I don't know about you, but I'd like to be powerful now. In this moment, I'd like to be empowered. And faith is the way to have that happen. On your way to achieving the dreams of your life in business, you have to understand the law of the summit. And the law of the summit says that your direction is the result of your perception. As you go for a life and as you go for a business of excellence, you're going to fail. You're going to fall down. You're going to screw it up. So will I. We've got to learn how to make failure our friend. Here's some thoughts on failure. To make no mistake is not in the power of a man, but from their errors and mistakes, the wise and good learn wisdom for the future. Solomon said that for a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, resilience. Goethe, the German philosopher, said a clever man commits no minor blunders. It's major. The cleverest people actually create major blunders, and that's where they get the greatest lessons. William Feather said no man is a failure who is enjoying life. And I like what Henry Ward Beecher said, it is defeat that turns bone to flint. It's defeat that turns gristle to muscle. It's defeat that makes men invincible. Do not then be afraid of defeat. You are never so near to victory as when defeated in a good cause. See, here's the thought. 
Your psychological, your physiological responses to failure can do more to encourage achievement than any single force. I like the idea of leaping. I like the idea of daring to do the unexpected. It can be scary. It's tempting to think more about what you might lose than what you might gain. But when you view a risk as an opportunity, there's no limit to what you can do. That's why you should always be encouraged to try something new, to be unpredictable, to experiment. You don't always have to hazard large things. Even a small change can point you toward a fresh experience. It can be truly invigorating to take the road you've not yet traveled. Les Brown said, leap and then grow your wings on the way down. As I give you this final thought, and as we wrap up our time together, I want you to know that successful salespeople see failure differently than unsuccessful salespeople. Here's the contrast. Successful salespeople, for them, failure is a setup. For unsuccessful people, it's a setback. For successful people, it's a lesson. For unsuccessful people, it's a liability. For successful people, it's an experience. For unsuccessful people, it's an excuse. For successful salespeople, it's humorous. For unsuccessful salespeople, it's humiliating. For successful people, failure is their friend. For unsuccessful people, failure is their foe. For successful people, failure is freeing. For unsuccessful people, it's final. For successful people, failure is an opportunity. For unsuccessful salespeople, it's an obstacle. For successful people, it is a stepping stone. For unsuccessful people, it's a stumbling block. For successful people, failure is a wing. For unsuccessful salespeople and people, failure is a weight. Here are four final thoughts on how to make failure your friend. Number one, change your perception and your interpretation of failure. The difference between greatness and mediocrity is often how an individual views a mistake. Number two, change your self-talk. Tell yourself that failure is an opportunity to reject mediocrity, to improve your sense of humor, to increase your expectations, to temporarily regroup, to take a skills inventory, to jettison a bad strategy, to take one more step. Napoleon Hill said that when defeat comes, accept it as a signal that your plans are not sound. Rebuild those plans and set sail once more towards your coveted goal. Number three, learn from your mistakes so you'll leverage your momentum. Mark Twain, one of the quotes for which he is probably most familiar and famous is this quote, insanity is doing the same things and expecting different results. What mistakes are you making that have not yet become lessons? In what area of your life would you like to see increased momentum? What can you do now to not make the same mistakes again? And then finally, number four, acknowledge that you're not alone. Everybody fails. Even the most experienced and most gifted and most successful people make stupid mistakes. Okay, let's just try and improve the odds. Let's stay with purpose. Let's realize that every failure is the foundation for a better future. And if you and if I can see failure as our friend, if we can adopt these five laws, if we can put all this together in a powerful, disciplined way to live life and to do business, we will achieve like we've never dreamed possible.